We're going to pick up reading and uh, uh, be quite a bit of reading tonight, but we'll pick up reading in verse 7 through the end of the chapter in 2 Corinthians in chapter 3. In the seventh verse, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, more, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face beholding in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. And that concludes that chapter there. Back to verse 7. Paul says, If the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? So Paul here making a statement and asking a question uh, all within these two verses here. He says, How can the if the ministration of death what was the ministration of death the ministration of death was the law that almighty God had put into place the ministration it was a ministration of death because all the law showed us is that we were wretched sinners in need of a savior the law had no power to save Amen. the law had no power to bring salvation the law had no power of redemption all the law did and Paul had, uh, Paul emphasized this to the church at Rome. All the law did was show us that we were indeed sinners. Paul said that he would have never known that he was a sinner if it had not been for the law. So this is what made the law and the commandments of God the ministration of death. It brought death. Paul is the very one that wrote to the Roman church that the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The law itself was a ministration of death because it had no power to bring life. It had no power uh, to, to bring redemption and to bring salvation. That's why Brother Paul here refers to it as the ministration of death. But nevertheless, even though it was a ministration of death, even though in, the, in verse 6 of the same chapter, Paul says that the letter killeth. He says that the letter is what will make us dead. The letter is what convicts us of our sin and brings that death onto us. Even though these things were so, Paul still saw it as a holy and a righteous thing. 
thing. He still saw it as a glorious thing. Why was that? Because the law came from he who is glory. He who is glorious. This is what made the law what it was. This is what made it righteous. And this is what made it glorious. So regardless of how Paul or anyone else looks at the law and looks at the commandments, all the thou shalt's and all the shalt nots of scripture, regardless of how anyone views this, it is glorious because it comes from Almighty God. This is what makes it glorious. And Paul asks the question, he says that the ministration of death be glorious. Then, Then how much more the ministration of the Spirit How much more glorious is the ministration of the Spirit? If the ministration of death, if the ministration of the law is glorious, how much more shall the ministration of the Spirit, how much more glorious can it possibly be? Folks, I'm here to tell you, I'm a living, breathing proof of how much more glorious the ministration of the Spirit is. Hey, the law, it had me condemned. The Bible says in Galatians 3 that the Scripture has concluded all under sin. The Scripture it concluded me under sin and it concluded you under sin but the scripture in the New Testament teaches me that there was one that came from above there was one that was sent by the father and he was able to keep the whole law every judge and every tittle precept upon precept and line upon line my Jesus was able to keep that law and keep it to a T his righteousness is imparted unto me his holiness is imparted unto me and his glory is imparted unto me hallelujah I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ I'm not Jesus Christ but I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ when the law showed me that I was dead that that I died long ago when the law showed me this The Spirit came, and in its ministration, in its glorious ministration, as Paul phrases it here, in the ministration that it has that is much more glorious than the law, it showed me what I could become in Christ Jesus. It showed me what I could become as a child of God. And when God saved my soul, I became righteous, and I became holy. I became sanctified. I became consecrated to the service of God, and I became glorious in the sight of God because praise God when the father looks down upon me he doesn't see my wretchedness he doesn't see my filthiness he doesn't see my sin he sees the glory of Jesus Christ he sees the righteousness of his son and that's all that he sees this is how the ministration of the spirit is more glorious than that which was of the law Amen. both ministrations both ministrations were of God and that's what makes both ministrations glorious. Praise the Lord. Verse 9. If the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more that the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. It exceeds in glory. The, the ministration of, of righteousness, it exceeds. It doesn't just equal it. Hey, folks, uh, both ministrations were of God, and both of them were glorious. If y'all were, will recall the account in Exodus 34, when, when Moses comes down off of the mount, and he comes to the children of Jacob, and they can't hardly even look upon him because the glory of God is shining off of his face because the glory of God is so bright they can't look at him. Hey, folks, they, I, I have a friend of mine that they didn't want to look at him because that glory convicted those Israelites 
life of the law that Moses was delivering to them. It convicted them because the glory of God was right there in their presence. It was reflecting off of this man Moses' face. Right. Hallelujah. How much more, though? It's an exceeding glory. It's an exceeding glory of righteousness. It exceeds the glory of the law. It exceeds uh, it, ex- it exceeds the glory which was given in the Old Testament. The New Testament is, is much more glorious, much more glorious than what we have in the Old. And it exceeds that glory. For even that which was made glorious had, had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which was done away, that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Glorious. If that which is done away was glorious, which is, that's present tense. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Folks, the Old Testament laws and the Old Testament ways, the Old Testament ceremonies, everything to do in the Old Testament. I'm not saying that the law is null and void. Jesus Christ kept the law. We've already we've already went through that. We've already determined that. Heard the scriptures. It's not null and void. But my salvation and my my relationship with Almighty God isn't based based on me keeping the law. It isn't based on my goodness. It is based on the goodness of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross at Calvary. And that is all my relationship with God is based on. Amen. The Old Testament is past. It's presently past when Paul wrote this. And it is presently past in 2022. And that law will never come to be again. Why? Because there is something much better that has taken its place. The old covenant has passed. The old old covenant that God has made is passed. The new covenant is in place. The new covenant is in Jesus Christ. And it is only in Jesus Christ. There's too many people in the world today. I'm talking about lost people and saved people alive. They're depending upon their works to get them to heaven. We need to depend upon the work of Jesus Christ and only him. There's people out there. I'm talking about saved, born-again children of God that walk on eggshells every day of their life, thinking that every time that they mess up, that God's going to cast them into hell. That is not the way my Bible describes salvation. If we continue in that way, and we don't repent, yes, we'll be in trouble with God. Yes, we can get in trouble with God. But, folks, this, this glory, this glory that we're talking about, and this covenant that we're talking about, this ministration that we're talking about of the Spirit, it comes from a holy and a righteous God. It comes from a glorified God or a glorious God. And and this the first ministration or the first covenant, it's already passed. The new one has come and it remaineth. It remains according here to verse 11. This ministration remains and this covenant remains and it will remain in effect throughout, throughout all of eternity. It's in effect now. It was in effect when Paul wrote this. It'll be in effect a thousand years from now and in a thousand years beyond that. It will be in effect for all the time. This is the covenant that God has put for his people. The law was given to God's people in the Old Testament. When Moses came down off of the mountain, he didn't give the law to the Moabites and the Perizzites and the Hittites. He brought the law to the Israelites, God's chosen people, the apple of God's eye. This is who the law was given to. The new covenant was given unto all mankind. 
time, saying, Whosoever is a thirst, let him come and take and drink of the water of life freely. That goes for Jew, that goes for Gentile, it goes for barbarian, for sentient, for male, female, it doesn't matter. It was written and it was put into place for all of mankind. Hallelujah. This is what's in place. This is what's in place. Seeing then that we have such a hope, we use great plainness of speech. Paul makes an observation. He gives a what, and he gives a why. He gives the seeing then that we have such, such hope. This is the why. We use great plainness of speech. In other words, we use boldness. We're bold in our speech. Why? Because we have hope. We have hope in the new covenant. The old covenant is past. The old ministration, the ministration of the letter, the ministration of the law, it is past. The ministration of the Spirit has come, and it excels and it exceeds the ministration of the law. And because we have this hope in the ministration of the Spirit, we can have plainness of speech. We can have bold speech. There ain't no sense in dancing around the tulips or in dancing around a subject matter. Hey, the world needs to know the gospel of Jesus Christ and they need to know it plainly and they need to know it boldly. The world needs to know that they are sinners and they are in danger of eternal hellfire, but they also need to know that there is redemption to be found in the man Jesus Christ. There is redemption to be found in looking to Christ and repenting of our sin. These are the things that the world needs to know. These are the things, and this is the plain speech that we need to have with the world. We don't need to get in doctrinal debates with lost people. We don't need to get in doctrinal debates really with anybody, especially not with lost people. What the lost folks need to know is the gospel. For if the gospel be hid, it is hid unto those that are lost. We need to present the gospel, and we need to do it with plain speech, and we need to do it in boldness. Hey, don't, don't go up to some and present the gospel to them in fear. You can go up to them because we know from personal experience if you've been born again that the gospel is truth and that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. This is the hope that we have and this is the reason that we can go in plain speech and boldness into all of the world. Because of the hope that we have. Because of the hope that we have in this new covenant and in this ministration of the Spirit. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away, praise God, in Christ. The veil is taken or is still in place when the, when the reading of the Old Testament takes place, when the reading of the law takes place, Paul was saying to this day, the day that he was the day that he was writing this, to this day the veil is still in place but folks, he, we're referring here to a veil that was on Moses' face that would hide that would hide the glory of God from the Israelites, but Moses or, or Paul here is taking that account over in the book of Exodus and he's applying it to, to these uh, Jews that were around 
around in his day and even the Jews that are around right now in 2022 the veil is still over their hearts but it's not only the Jews that this that this applies to it's the lost world in general there's a veil over their heart there's a veil of wickedness there's a veil of sin there's a veil of darkness that is over their heart but the Bible here plainly says when it shall turn to the Lord the veil shall be taken away hey when these individual people when one turns unto the God the Lord when one heart turns unto God for redemption in Jesus Christ the veil will be taken away and then they will have understanding of themselves and understanding of God but until then they'll remain in their ignorance they'll remain in the dark their heart will remain in the dark their minds were blinded their minds were blinded this is what got the Jews in trouble this is what got a lot of the Jews in trouble when Jesus came and walked this earth. This is why in John chapter 1 we have uh, the verse that we're so familiar with. He came into his own and his own received him not. Amen. Why was that? Because they were blind. But they were blind by choice. Messiah was there. Messiah was right there in front of them. Messiah had come, the promised seed that God had promised them over and over in the Old Testament. He was finally here and said he came into his own and his own received him not. If anybody should have recognized Jesus Christ as Messiah, it should have been the Jews for they are the ones that the Old Testament was written for. They are the ones that recorded the Old Testament by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. The Jews are the very ones that should have recognized Christ as Messiah, but yet they rejected him. They didn't reject him just once. They rejected him over and over, just as they rejected God, God over in the Old Testament, over and over, and they rebelled against his way. They rebelled against his law. They rebelled against his customs and everything else that God had set in place for them, just like they rebelled against God. They rebelled and rejected Jesus Christ. That veil was over their heart, but it was there by choice. It was there by choice. We're born into this thing. We're born sinners, according to the Bible. We're born into sin. We're shaping in iniquity. Ain't nothing you can do about that. Ain't nothing I can do about it. But God recognized Amen. that. God knows our frame according to the scripture. And he knows our nature. He knows our sinful nature. He knows our Adamic nature. And God is the one that had to, to make a way for us to be saved. God had to do that in Jesus Christ. And God is the very one that has to take away the veil. Read that again. But their minds were blinded for until this day remained the same veil. Untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day when Moses has read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. It doesn't say anything about someone taking away their own veil. It says that the veil shall be taken away. It'll take Almighty God to remove that veil. It took God to, re to remove the veil off of my heart. I walked around in sin all my life until the day that Almighty God saved my soul. But if God had not removed the veil, and expose to me his glory and expose to me his righteousness and his holiness I would still be in my sin to this day Amen. God exposes these things to people 
He exposes it. That's the that's the the one one of the most wondrous parts of the law, the Ten Commandments. When we we read them, we read them, and as human beings, we see it as a rule book. We see it as this is what I have to do. No, folks, that's what you can't do. That's why Jesus Christ had to come. It shows you your inability to do what God asks of you, and it also shows you on the flip side of that same coin, the law shows you the righteousness and the holiness of God because God came here manifesting the flesh and the man Jesus Christ for the Bible says that in him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead and God himself and only God was able to keep that law the law shows you your filth and it shows us God's righteousness two sides of that coin nevertheless when when it shall turn to the Lord the veil shall be taken away that's a promise straight from scripture when the heart turns to the Lord when the individual turns to the Lord the veil shall be taken away I'm telling you we don't have a part in this I got no part in salvation I can't save me and you can't save me but we've got to turn to God we've got to look to him for righteousness we've got to look to him for salvation we must turn to God just like uh, uh, the last time that I preached here we was talking about Moses and how he uh, held up that brazen serpent up on the pole and that was God's way that he made but the people still had to take a glance toward that serpent they still had to take a glance toward the brazen serpent in order for them to be healed by the snake by there, there was some part of that game that was on their side of the court yes God is salvation God is the author of salvation the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith and I understand all these things but folks if a heart will not turn unto God God cannot save that heart if a heart if a heart is unwilling to turn to God God will not take away the veil from that heart he will let that heart continue on in their way and walk their self straight into hell that's the scripture, folks. The veil shall be taken away if it, the person, the heart, if, if it shall turn toward the Lord. Now the heart, now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Praise God. Amen. I've heard this quoted over and over through the years since I've been saved. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The Lord is that spirit. What spirit are we talking about? Well, from the beginning of this passage of scripture, we've been talking about the ministration of the spirit. We had the ministration of the letter, the ministration of the law, the ministration uh, that, that, that kills, uh, the, 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 the ministration of death, as the scripture puts it. But, he, but then he goes into the ministration of the spirit. He says, now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And I praise God that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. What do we have liberty to do? Well, he asked the lost world to do that. They say, you have to go to church, and you, you have to do this. You have to read your Bible, and you have to pray. No, folks, we have liberty in Christ Jesus to worship God. We have liberty in Christ Jesus to come to church and to worship and to fellowship and to pray. Hey, before Christ Jesus came in on the scene, hey, they still had to go to the high priest to make an atonement for their sin, but we have a great high priest in heaven now named Jesus Christ and he has made the atonement for my sin and he is my mediator between me and God. He is my advocate with the Father. Hallelujah. Amen. 
These are the things that we have in Christ. And we have liberty in Christ. Right, because before him, and hey, listen, Paul wrote this letter. If anybody had a, a, a right, if anybody had smarts enough, I know he was inspired by the Holy Ghost. I understand that. But if anybody in the New Testament had a right to, to, to write the things that we're finding in this passage of Scripture, it was the Apostle Paul because he had lived on both sides of the law and he had ministered on both sides of the law. He was a Pharisee before the time of Jesus Christ and before the time of grace and before the time of salvation by the blood of the Lamb of God. He was a minister then and he was a minister here to the Corinthian church after these things. He was a minister of Jesus Christ to these Corinthians. So if anybody could make this inference and anybody had any right to do so, it was the Apostle Paul. Amen. He says in him we have liberty. And the Lord is that spirit. Romans chapter 8 says that if we have not the spirit of Christ, we're none of his. Amen. The Lord is that spirit. The Lord is that spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We have freedom in Jesus Christ. And that is not freedom to go out and do as we please. And that's how a lot of people see that verse of scripture. It is not freedom to sin. It is not a license to sin. We have freedom to go unto God in Jesus Christ. And only in Jesus Christ do we have that. As I've already said, we have freedom to worship God. We couldn't even worship God rightly without Jesus Christ or without a minister doing something for us without a priest doing something for us we couldn't really even go to God before then but when Jesus came in on the scene and Jesus saved my soul and yours that gave us liberty to be with God to worship God to talk with God to walk with God and to do everything in our lives to the glory of God that's what our liberty is it's not liberty to sin it's liberty to God through Jesus Christ. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. Beholding as in a glass, in other words, beholding as, as if you're looking in a mirror. But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Changed into what image? Into the image of Jesus Christ. We're being changed into that image. But because of this glory, and it says here, from glory to glory, we read how the glory, or how the ministration of the Spirit, it exceeds the ministration of the of, of, of death, the ministration of the letter, the ministration of the law, it exceeds that. And we read that it excels. The ministration of the Spirit, it excels. And it says here, once again in verse 18, with open face beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory. From glory to glory. When Moses when he come down off the mountain and his face shone, as the scripture puts it, with the glory of God. <coughs> 
You read in that same passage of scripture there at the end of Exodus chapter 34 that when Moses went in unto the Lord that he would go in and he would remove the veil from his face as he spoke with the Lord. And then when he'd go out and he would give commandment to the children of Israel, he would keep the veil off of his face and only when he finished speaking would he put the veil back on his face. And But it, it, it says this and it insinuates that it was every time that Moses went in to speak to God that he took the veil off of his face. Folks, that tells me that, 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 that the glory of God, it would diminish after a time. It would diminish off of the face of Moses and he would have to go back in to the presence of Almighty God in order to get the glory uh, to shine back off of his face once again. And that tells me in the New Testament times that we live in now that if we're neglecting our time with God, if we're neglecting our time in prayer, if we're neglecting our Bible time, if we're neglecting the gathering of the saints, the, the assembling of ourselves together, hey, the glory of God is not going to shine off of you like it would if you were not neglecting those things. What yes. Jesus Christ say in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light so shine before man, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Amen. Let your light so shine before men. Come God. Comma, that they may see your good works, comma, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That they may see your good works. That applies to the men. That let your light so shine before men and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That applies to you. That applies to the one that that, that, that Jesus is commanding to let your light so shine before men. But folks, it takes a, a good relationship with God and it takes us getting into God's presence. Sometimes we might have to disappear up into the prayer closet by ourselves with God. But when we emerge from the closet, when we come out of that alone, space that we have with God. The glory of God should be shining to all of the world. Amen. And I ain't talking about a physical shine either like Moses had. Nobody should have to ask us if we're saved. Nobody should have to ask us if we're Christians. And we certainly shouldn't need a bumper sticker on our car or to wear a crucifix on a necklace for people to know that we believe in God. They should know by our actions. They should know by our speech. They should know by our walk. They should know by everything that we do and everything that we don't do that we believe that there is a holy God. We believe in the thrice holy triune God of the scripture and we believe that he is a God of righteousness and he is a God of judgment. And I our lives should indicate to these people that we believe these things. And if our lives indicate these things, that is the light of God that will be shining out for the entire world to see. That's why when we witness the family members, when we witness the friends that are lost, that's why when we, when, when we witness them, or even when we just walk into their presence, a lot of times their demeanor will change. It don't happen like it used to. It don't happen like it did once upon a time. I've been on visitations in the past. When I first got saved, I'd go on visitations and go in people's houses. They'd be sliding the beer cans behind the couch. They'd be putting stuff in the trash, be trying to straighten it up. Why? Because they thought that, the, that a preacher was there. I wasn't a preacher at that time. But it was because men of God were present in their home. Now, my goodness, the, just the opposite happens. In 13 and a half years' time, I can't believe in 13 and a half years this has happened. Now you go to their house, and they'll offer you a beer. Mm -hmm. They'll say, you want to sit down and have a drink with me? I've had this happen. 
I've had this happen. And folks, why is that? And it makes me question myself. Is the light not shining enough? And I understand. I understand that men love darkness rather than light. And I understand that the heart of man is, is, is deceitful and deceptive above all things and desperately wicked. I understand these things about man. But it makes me question myself. How bright is my light shining for God? Has it gotten dim over time? And if it has, it's my fault. It is my fault. We, we all, with open face beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord. We're beholding as if looking in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord as if looking in a mirror are changed in the same image. The same image of what? The same image as the glory of the Lord. As the glory of the Lord. Jesus Christ is the glory of God the Father. He was the glory of God the Father here on earth. He was the express image of Almighty God here on this earth. Paul here is making the statement, uh, but we all, with open face beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changing to the same image from glory to glory. Every time that glory comes, as I said before, it sounds it sounded to me like over there in the book of Exodus that Moses had to continue going in to get the, to get another dose of the glory of Almighty God. God on his face and this is talking about from glory to glory hey this, this image that we're seeing as beholding in a glass we're changing from glory to glory but we're being shaped and molded and fashioned into, into the image of Jesus Christ I will never be Jesus Christ in this life or in the next and you won't either but almighty God saved your soul to bring him glory and Jesus Christ brought him glory through his obedience and through his sacrifice and he continues to this very day to bring glory to God with every individual heart that turns into God and has the veil removed and accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior. Hallelujah. And from that point on, from that point on, as if looking in a glass, we see a change from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And that's the only way that it will happen. Is by the Spirit of Almighty God. I can't explain to you a T, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and I don't think any man alive can. I can't explain it perfectly to you. But I can tell you now that this scripture here, it says in verse 17 that the Lord is that Spirit. And in verse 18 it says, even as by the Spirit of the Lord, the Lord is that Spirit, because the Spirit, the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they're all there. They all combine as one. There's one God. There's one faith, one Lord, and one baptism. Of course, according to what I read in the Scriptures, there is one Lord, but He is in three uh, separate but equal persons, as far as the Scripture goes. He's not a part, and He's not a piece of the Triune. He is a person of the Triune. The Holy Spirit of God is. And it says that even by the Spirit of the Lord, the first before this says that the Lord is that spirit. Hey folks, when God saved my soul and he sent the Holy Spirit into my life, that was God himself coming to tabernacle with his creation. He was coming to tabernacle with one of his. He was coming to live amongst his people inside of me. And when God saved your unworthy soul, he done the same thing for you. He came to live for the Lord is that spirit and the spirit is of the Lord. The Lord himself dwells in you. Hallelujah. And that's that much more reason our lights should shine so bright when we get around 
the lost, when we get around the world, when we get around fellow Christians, uh, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, our light needs to shine. I need to see the light of brothers and sisters in Christ just as much as the world needs to see a light coming off of me or coming off of them that they might feel conviction over their sins. I can't save their souls. But folks, just as the Israelites in the Old Testament, just as they were convicted of their sins because the glory of God was shining off of the very one that had delivered the laws of God to them, just as they were convicted of their sins, when I get around people, people ought to change their attitude. They ought to change their ways just a little bit. And if they ain't, maybe, just maybe, and probably it falls in my lap as to why they're not. Check up on your relationship with God if that's the case. Folks, the veil is removed in Jesus Christ. The veil that was there not only over the Jews' hearts, but over the Gentiles' hearts as well. The veil is removed and only removed in Jesus Christ. That's only removed by Almighty God. We can't do it. We can't do it. Compare that with the scripture that we read in the book of Joel, where it talks about uh, uh, need to circumcise your heart. And Paul actually gets into that in the New Testament as well. I can't circumcise my own heart. It takes God to do that. It takes God to remove the veil from my heart. It takes God to work in my heart. It takes, I, I can't do it myself, and you can't do it for me, and I can't do it for you. It takes God to do these things. And it took God to remove the veil off of my heart when he saved my soul. It took God to remove that veil when I turned to him. But praise God that he did. That's the message. God bless you all.